This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Autoimmune diseases are on the rise around the world. According to the National Institutes of Health, one in 15 Americans suffer from an autoimmune disease. In the Pacific Northwest, there is a greater prevalence of MS, irritable bowel disease, and type 1 diabetes, all autoimmune-related. Many you will have heard of, like rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, and inflammatory bowel disease. In the UK, autoimmune diseases now affect more than 1 in 10 adults. Maria Mariani, a busy personal trainer, started to lose hair, gain weight, and her get-up-and-go got up and went. She suspected something was wrong. Talia says medical tests revealed she suffered from Hashimoto's, an autoimmune disease that attacks her thyroid. And curiously, some have begun to turn up in countries that have never reported cases before. So what's behind the rising cases? And could our modern lifestyle potentially be to blame? From The Guardian, I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. To understand why autoimmune diseases are becoming more common around the world, I spoke to James Lee, a clinical science group leader at the Francis Crick Institute, and a consultant gastroenterologist at the Royal Free Hospital in London. James, could you explain for us what an autoimmune disease actually is? An autoimmune disease is a chronic, usually lifelong condition. And the way I like to try to explain it to my patients when I'm seeing them in clinic is that essentially your immune system has got its wires crossed so that instead of fighting off coughs and colds and keeping you well and healthy it's now actually attacking healthy tissue within your body by mistake. And what that means is that healthy tissue can become damaged and the site of that healthy tissue will determine very much what the disease is. We tend to think of the immune system as a sort of body-wide defence. So I'm interested that you can have 
it go wrong in a specific part of your body, but not elsewhere? It's a really interesting question. And it's interesting because many of the pathways that, for example, predispose to one autoimmune disease also predispose to others. And we see that as well in our patients. Many patients will have more than one different type of autoimmune disease. But what determines the specific location is often related to the environmental trigger that may have set it off in the first place. It's sometimes also related to the natural way in which our immune system does work differently in different sites in the body. Now, many of these diseases seem to be increasing around the world. When did that trend become apparent? So we've known that there has been a, an increase in pretty much all autoimmune diseases over the, about the last 40 years. Uh, and one of the things that's interesting and, and sort of depressing in its own right is that many regions of the world that never re previously saw these diseases are now starting to see these diseases appear. We haven't really been able to do anything to stop them. And actually, many of these conditions are still increasing by up to sort of five to nine percent every year. You know, to put that in context, an increase in five percent of all cancers took over 10 years to happen. And are there any examples you can give of which diseases are going up in certain places? Yeah, sure. So, uh, for example, inflammatory bowel disease, which is the uh, conditions that I particularly look after as a clinician, we're starting to see those in regions of the world that we'd never seen them before. So there's huge increases that we're seeing in East Asia and the Middle East. And if you went back 30 or 40 years, you just wouldn't see these diseases in those places. But we're now starting to see them emerge and actually really take off in some of these uh, regions of the world. Are any of these increases, do you think, down to better surveillance, better awareness of these conditions in certain parts of the world? I think that was what we hoped originally. And it, it is true to say that there is better surveillance and that we are much more attuned to these sort of symptoms at the moment. But I think what's become clear is that the increases we're seeing are far more than we would ever expect to see simply by being more aware of these conditions. The fact that these diseases have been seen for ages in Western countries, but are only now appearing in others, does that hold any clues as to what's going on? Yes, absolutely. There is a clear link that as countries adopt a westernised lifestyle, that's when we really start to see more autoimmune disease developing. You know, this might be a westernised diet or fast food, or it might relate to other factors that go along with a westernised lifestyle, including things like obesity. And that's really difficult to tease apart. But it's, it's clearly that westernisation appears to correlate very strongly with the rise in these sort of diseases in these countries. And we also see that in uh, immigration studies, which we've known of for over 30 years, where second generation immigrants to the UK from South Asia, for example, have much higher rates of autoimmune disease than their family members who remained uh, in their home countries. One interesting factor is diet, and in particular, a Western diet rich in highly processed foods. Why has this come under the spotlight in particular? We know that over the time that these diseases have been increasing, the genetics hasn't really changed. So we know that the thing that's driving this increase has to be something environmental. And there's been a lot of work to try and understand what exactly that might be. Now, a Western diet is certainly probably one of the factors that is contributing to this, but we don't know exactly what components of the Western diet are specifically responsible. 
But it would be a huge oversimplification to just point our fingers just at diet, because we know that things like pollution and smoking and obesity and stress are also undoubtedly contributing to this. And the real challenge is that the exact thing that's driving different diseases may well be different. So partly based on that complexity, but also partly because we know that irrespective of all of these things, that by far the biggest risk factor for developing pretty much any of these diseases is actually genetic. So if you're not particularly genetically predisposed to getting an autoimmune disease, any of the triggers that might set off a, a disease in someone else will almost certainly have no effect on you at all. Okay, so there are these environmental triggers that are on the rise around the world, but behind that is genetics, which is why one person might develop an autoimmune disease, whereas someone else won't, even if both are eating fast food or are overweight, for example. So how are you investigating the genetics behind all of this? My work really tries to build on the huge success that we've had over the last 10 years of finding the regions in our DNA that are directly involved in the development of these diseases. The real challenge, though, is while that's been a successful enterprise and we've now got over 250 regions where we know are directly involved, for example, in Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, we really don't understand what most of these regions are actually doing. It's a bit like having a treasure map. We've got this amazing resource where we know that this is specifically what's likely to be causing these diseases, but we haven't yet actually figured out what's going wrong. We don't know what the treasure is. And I wondered, actually, if once you have a better understanding of the genetic background that all these diseases are playing out on, could that also help you figure out what some of the environmental triggers are, depending on the person or the particular disease they're experiencing? Yeah, that's exactly right, Ian. And that's the beauty of the work we're trying to do here is that although we're coming at this from the genetics, we're not trying to do this in a bubble. We know that actually if we can fully understand the pathways that are involved, it may well point us directly at some of the environmental triggers that are relevant for these diseases. So to give you an example, if we find that there's a pathway that's normally involved in responses to viruses and we find that that pathway seems to be going wrong in some patients with multiple sclerosis, it may well help us understand that perhaps viruses are the thing that's triggering the development of the disease in the first place. So if you can understand more about the genetics of these diseases, what kind of benefits could that bring down the line? I think one of the things that's really striking is that almost all of the autoimmune diseases we've talked about need better treatments. And if you look at the success of drugs going into pipelines for you know, phase one trials, we know that only about 10% of those drugs will ever become approved therapies. So there's this huge attrition rate where people are investing money in agents that will actually never work. And yet we know that actually if the mechanism of action of any of these drugs is supported by disease genetics, then the chance of that drug working at least doubles. The other thing that it may do is enable us to identify which patients would be best suited to a particular therapy because we know that that therapy targets a pathway that's particularly going wrong in that individual. So that's then moving much more towards a sort of more personalized approach to treatment, which of course is a really important goal in medicine at the moment. There aren't any cures or preventative measures for autoimmune diseases right now. Do you think some of this work could change that, could lead to some answers in that direction? We certainly hope so. 
the thing that the genetics allows us to study are those events that happen right at the time that the disease develops. And actually, if we can understand what's going wrong at the point of disease development, then it may well be possible, for example, in families where many people are affected by a particular disease, to actually start thinking about, could we intervene at a preventative level to try and reduce their chance of getting that disease for those individuals who haven't yet been affected. It's absolutely something that we're, we're looking to try and achieve down the line. James, huge thanks for coming on and describing all of this to us. And uh, best of luck with the project. Come back on when you've got some uh, results to take us through. Many thanks, Ian. I'd be delighted to do so. Thanks again to James. If you'd like to read my colleague Robin McKee's article about the work going on at the Francis Crick Institute looking at the genetics behind autoimmune diseases, head to theguardian.com. And that's it from us this week. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.